When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Hello and welcome to episode number 183 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and with me, as always, is Tony Pauline. And this week, we'll be bringing you something a little bit different on the show. Most likely, we'll be back with another prospect interview next week. But this week, we're going to go over a little offensive positional preview heading into the draft, which is two weeks from when we are recording this, at least the start of the first round is. Tony? We're getting close. Yeah, I mean, uh, a year's worth of work, and we're two weeks away. Still some unanswered questions. Basically, what Chris and I are going to do tonight is draft board from the offensive side of the ball, which uh, from teams in the league that I speak with, we're going to go over and see players that are rising or players that could go earlier than expected as what is being talked about on the outside, and those that could drop further than uh, what people expect or people are led to believe when they see mock drafts and other things. And we will get to all of that on this week's show in just a minute. But first, a word from our sponsor. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. With the NFL draft creeping closer, draft props are heating up. If you really believe the reports that Mac Jones is going number three, for example... You can get him at less than two to one odds, which compared to Zach Wilson going number two at 25 to one presents just slightly better value. And Chris, if if I'm going to lay down a bet, it's going to be that as we get closer to draft day, both Justin Fields and Trey Lance are going to have better odds going with that third selection of the draft to the San Francisco 49ers. So head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and Make that bet Tony suggested because, you know, if we've discussed this and it's happened before, what we say leads to results. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now we'll segue from a little QB talk there to some more QB talk here, discussing again draft boards around the league and kind of where the quarterbacks fall. Um, you know, in the first round, obviously, you're going to have Trevor Lawrence at the very top of the draft boards here. You know, that's not any sort of hot take that's been the case for a while now. But then you start to get kind of a cluster where things are a bit uncertain. So you have kind of in that 
not the same tier, but a slight tier below. You have Zach Wilson out of BYU, Mac Jones out of Alabama, and Justin Fields from Ohio State. And then kind of a tier below that, you have Trey Lance. I mean, all these guys are getting their share of top 10 hype. Um, you know, there are some people that say, oh, the top five picks in the draft should be quarterback. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's never happened before. I don't know if that's something that could happen this year. Obviously, the Bengals would have to trade out of the number five pick. But, I mean, there's kind of a glut behind Trevor Lawrence. Tony, what do you make of what we're seeing on this board at the top? I think it means that the quarterbacks are going to be overdrafted as quarterbacks usually are overdrafted. I mean, it's an unusual year in that the top prospect on the board, it happens to be a quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson made a big move up boards. But when you look at my overall draft board, Mac Jones is the 20th prospect listed. He probably is going to go in the top 10. Trey Lance, I believe this is the number 17 prospect listed. He's going to go top 10. Justin Fields, I have him below uh, uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, he's going to rightfully go in the top 10. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it's a very good chance you could have, I don't think they're going to go one, two, three, four, five. I don't think they go one, two, three, four, five, six. But I think what's going to happen is you're going to have four quarterbacks come off the board quickly. And a, a team could trade into the top nine or top 10 uh, to get that fifth quarterback if Denver doesn't take them with the ninth selection. Now, you kind of mentioned the uh, the order there that you have them. You have them, Lawrence, Wilson, Fields, Lance, and Jones. Um, why Wilson over Fields? I know this is something that we've discussed. Uh, I'm still on the Justin Fields over Zach Wilson bandwagon, even though you, know, you and I are both on the record as being high on Zach Wilson and liking what he brings to the table and what he's able to you know, produce for an NFL team potentially. Uh, but why have we gotten to the point where Wilson is over Fields for you? And we've all, I've also been on the record saying I like Justin Fields. And while people have him falling down draft boards, I think he slid slightly, but not as much as many people are saying. Listen, I always like a quarterback go, moving towards the draft who has played his best football. And Zach Wilson absolutely far and away played his best football in 2020. You can make the case that Justin Fields was probably better in 2019 than he was in 2020. There's not much separation between the two quarterbacks in my mind. Justin Fields has much better physical skills. He's got a much better arm than uh, Zach Wilson. I think Zach Wilson had, processes the information a little bit uh, better. Justin Fields, is you can play him in a vertical offense. You can't play Zach Wilson in a vertical offense, but I think Zach Wilson would be better suited for a West Coast type of offense or a timing type of offense. They're different quarterbacks. I just like the fact that Wilson's game has really taken off the past year, where Fields... Again, I think you can make the case he was probably a better quarterback in 2019 than he was in 2020. And it doesn't mean he was a bad quarterback in 2020. It's just that he was exceptional in 2019. Well, yeah, in 2020, as we've discussed, you know, a lot of hiccups, a lot of things that didn't go right for Justin Fields. I mean, especially if you take away that Clemson game in the playoff semifinal, um, definitely a stronger 2019. And, you know, we've talked a lot about how momentum is very important, especially at the quarterback position, which speaking of, there are some guys further down the quarterback board one that does have a lot of momentum is Davis Mills out of Stanford, you know, a guy that many people didn't even expect to declare for the draft in the first place. And now, you know, there's lots of hype around him as being, you know, the sixth quarterback, seventh quarterback taken in the draft. Tony, what do you think about Mills? He's a little further down this board. He looks to be in kind of that third round area. Kyle Trask is up in the second round area, but those are kind of your top seven there. Um, you know, what are you looking at with these two guys and then potentially anybody below him? Davis Mills is getting grades anywhere from the late first round to the early third round, which ultimately means he's probably going to end up in the second round of the draft. Entering the season, scouts had told me, or scouts that I speak with told me, that if Davis Mills 
had the season that they expected, he could be a top 15 pick in the draft because he's that physically gifted. Six, three and a half, 217 pounds, ran under four, six in the 40 uh, during his pro day, as if though that means anything for a quarterback. It just shows he's athletic. I was at his uh, a pro day style workout that he ran during senior bowl practices. I reported on it in detail at Pro Football Network, and he made all the passes. He, he, he throws a catchable ball. He spins the ball. I think the problem with Davis Mills that I saw on film, and to a slight extent during that pro day type workout at the senior bowl, is sometimes he's a little bit hesitant to, to pull the trigger. Sometimes he's a little bit slow, and sometimes the receivers are waiting for the pass to arrive. That can be a dangerous thing, but he has that upside. He has those physical skills, and he's shown enough flashes that I think a team is going to take a chance on him uh, in the second round. Now we'll get to the skill positions next after this word from our new partners over at Monster Bass. I can't remember the last time I went fishing or more accurately sat in a boat and drank all day, but I'm feeling pretty inspired to pick up some new hobbies. What about you, Tony? Me as well, Chris. And, and with all these quarantines and lockdowns and social distancing and all this concern about COVID, you know what? It's probably not a bad time to pick up a fishing pole and get out there. Well, that's why we're so excited about our newest sponsor, Monster Bass. Monster Bass is the fun and affordable way to get the best new baits from the fishing industry's top brands delivered to your door each month. Monster Bass is a premium subscription fishing company that handpicks the best baits based on where you live and fish. No more guessing on which baits are going to work. Just leave it to the pros at Monster Bass. Basically, it's like having your own personal fishing guide, which would help me. And it's changing the way bass fishermen shop for baits. They're quickly becoming the number one fishing brand of anglers everywhere. They've got the best baits from the best brands, and you're covered by the industry's best customer service. So if you want to catch bigger bass this season, and who doesn't, head on over to monsterbass.com and use the code DRAFT10 to get $10 off your first box. Sign up for Monster Bass now. Now moving on to the running back position here where on these draft boards, one running back rated as a first round prospect in the bottom tier of the first round. And that is Alabama's Najee Harris, a guy Tony and I both agree is the top back in the issuers class. Now, something that is very interesting um, compared to where we were before the season is Travis Etienne and Javante Williams are in the same tier at the beginning of the second round. Williams' teammate, Michael Carter, more towards the end of the second round. And then you have a couple guys rated in the third round, Kenneth Gainwell, Ramondre Stevenson, and Trey Sermon. Tony, first talk about ETN versus Williams. Obviously, Williams has a lot going for him, rising, heading into the draft. Kind of break down what you're seeing between those two jockeying for potential draft position based on what we're seeing on this board. Well, I mean, Javante Williams is a third-year sophomore. So he has less mileage than Travis Etienne. Uh, he is a, has a slightly stouter build. He's got a more powerful style. I like Travis Etienne. Travis Etienne is graded significantly higher than Javante Williams on my board because I think Travis Etienne can do more. He's got a, a better body of work. He's a more complete player. Javante Williams, when you watch him, he's a powerhouse. I mean, he runs down, runs between tackle, and he dishes out a lot of punishment. Etienne can do that though not to a greater extent, but I think ATN is a much better pass catcher out of the backfield, a legitimate pass catcher out of the backfield. He's also a better corner runner. What I think is interesting is if you go back before the season started and you compare Najee Harris to Travis ATN, scouts graded Travis ATN anywhere from a full round to a round and a half higher than Najee Harris. I didn't 
I always had Harris as my top back, but for some reason, scouts like ATN better than Harris. That has kind of, that has kind of flipped. Uh, obviously I think, I still think Harris is going to be the first back selected. Uh, there, it, it could be that a, ATN is taking a few spots before him. ATN ran exceptionally well during his pro day. I believe he was in low four force, although he doesn't really play to that time. So I, I think those are the top, those guys that, that you mentioned, Najee Harris, Travis ATN and Javonta Williams are obviously at the top of the board, board. And there was big separation between them and the next back on the board, Michael Carter, who is Javante Williams teammate or was a Javante Williams teammate at North Carolina. Yeah. And I mean, you mentioned Harris kind of rising on lots of boards. I mean, a lot of it could just be based on production. I mean, last year, uh, 1,224 yards on 209 carries this year, 1,466 on 251 carries. That's an extra three carries per game. He got more of the workload. He really added in the receiving game as well. 27 catches for 304 compared to 43 for 425. And certainly that's an area where he truly excels. ETN has gotten better there um, you know, throughout his career. He's made improvements, but I mean, he's even on record as saying before last season that he wasn't that comfortable as a receiver. Najee Harris, very comfortable as a wide receiver. So that's kind of an interesting point as far as teams not projecting as much and seeing, okay, well now this production is here. Maybe that's why we're going to move Najee Harris up the boards, moving to that kind of third round, fourth round area, Tony, any guys, you know, Jarrett Patterson, Jamar Jefferson, you know, we mentioned Trey Sermon, Kenneth Gainwell, uh, Chubba Hubbard, Kylan Hill, any of those guys kind of intrigue you based on what you see on the draft board and think are either over or undervalued. You know, I, I like JV and Hawkins a lot. I think he's going to be, if he's not a late day two pick, I think he's going to be in very early day three pick. He is your quick explosive scat back who can also turn it, uh, run on the inside. He'll pick and choose his spots. He creates yardage. He's got a tremendous burst of speed uh, and is able to beat defenders into the open field. This board has Khalil Herbert, a guy who we interviewed uh, and was a great interview, as a matter of fact, graded as a, uh, as a later round pick, a sixth, seventh round pick. I disagree with a uh, sixth round pick, I should say, early sixth round pick. I completely disagree with that. I think Herbert is worthy of going late in the third round Again, a guy who's a three-down back doesn't have great size, but he's not afraid to take it on the inside. He's got the speed and the ability to turn the corner and get around the perimeter. Also, a real good pass catcher out of the backfield. I think Herbert is perfectly built for a system that's going to be implemented by the New York Jets that the San Francisco 49ers run. And I do know that the New York Jets like Khalil Herbert. Now, moving on to the wide receivers here, Tony, a guy that we've had at the top of the board for a while now, Jamar Chase of LSU. In that same tier, though, Devontae Smith from Alabama. The next tier, Jalen Waddle and Rashad Bateman. Bateman, really a guy who's moving up into that middle tier of round one. There are probably people that had him there the whole time, but that's where he's looking to go right now. Kadarius Tony, kind of looking as a back-end first-round pick. And then you have a real glut of guys in the second round, the Terrace Marshalls, the pair of Moores, Rondale and Elijah, and a few other names as well. Tony, what stood out? from the guys rated as first and or second round picks here at receiver? Well, again, I go back to the beginning of the season. And in the beginning of the season, Kadarius Tony was graded as a late seventh round pick. And now he's being talked about as a potential late first round pick. I think Tony's going to be a second round choice, but still, I mean, the guy has improved his draft stock anywhere from five to six rounds. And, you know, it was obvious on film. He's a terrific pass catcher. He gets separation. He's fast. He's not a true vertical threat. He doesn't have the home run hitting speed, but he plays fast. And he's a good, he's a good vertical pass catcher when he gets downfield. Uh, I mean, I, I think everything fit well with that Florida offense, with Kyle Trask throwing the ball to Kyle Pitts, which opened things up for Kateri's Tony. 
But Kadarius Tony really, I, I thought, improved his game and as a result ha- has really improved his draft stock. Amon Ross St. Brown, I think, has fallen. I thought coming into the season, he was a potential late first-round pick. He did not have a great campaign in 2020. Part of it was the fact that, you know, it took a while for the Pac-12 to get their act together. Part of it was, you know, they found a new favorite receiver at USC. I think St. Brown, who ran a 4-5-1 at Pro Day, kind of hurt his draft stock there. But I still think he's going to be a real good pass catcher at the next level uh, in, the, uh, in the right system. Uh, De'Ami Brown, uh, North Carolina, Dwayne Eskridge, guy who we interviewed just uh, not too long ago. These guys are sitting as late second-round choices. I would agree with that on Eskridge. I think he slides into uh, round two. I think De'Ami Brown's more of a third-round pick, but he is a good receiver. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting on St. Brown because he's a guy we talked about as a potential first-round pick coming into the year. But, you know, as you said, pro day time was a little slower. He's not particularly big. He's not particularly fast. And, you know, while he runs good routes and he is a good, solid wide receiver, it's tough to break the first round, especially in a year like this, if you don't have more standout physical traits than maybe St. Brown has. Don't want to take anything away from him as a player. But in terms of the physical traits specifically, kind of looking at, Later in the board, third round, fourth round, name that stands out to me as a guy rated in the third round here is Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State, a guy that, you know, sort of like what I was saying about Amon Ross St. Brown, not the biggest guy, not the fastest guy, but he is tough. He is a competitor, competes at the catch point, can make plays after the catch. Um, You know, he seems a little bit undervalued in that third round range to me, and he's behind a guy from UAB, Sammy Watkins' cousin, Austin Watkins, who is really moving up draft boards. Tony, what can you say about this range of the draft? Yeah, I think Tylon Wallace is just undervalued. Had that knee injury that kept him out most of 2019. I thought he rebounded well. I compare him to Bryant Brandon Ayuk, the first-round pick of the San Francisco 49ers a year ago. He doesn't, he doesn't have the greatest speed, but he's fast enough. He doesn't have great size, but he's big enough. And what he does is he separates the routes and he catches everything thrown in his direction. Two guys that stood out to me on this board, you know, you mentioned Austin Watkins of UAB, who – had a good career at UAB, had a good senior season, and then really turned it on at the senior bowl. He was terrific. I haven't graded much later than scouts, but the fact is this. Coming into the season, Watkins was graded as a early seventh, late sixth-round choice, so he's improved his draft stock several rounds, as has the North Texas receiver Jalen Darden, who's a terrific player. I don't know that he's going to go third round the way they have him here. I have him in the fourth round, a little bit small, but he's fast, he's consistent, and he can also be double up as a return specialist. Darden, even if he goes to the fourth round, he was graded as barely a priority free agent coming into the season. So here's a guy that has really improved his game, although he was, he's was he been a good uh, pass catcher at North Texas for a couple of years now. But he's gotten to the point where he's gone from someone that wasn't even expected to be drafted to being selected in the middle rounds. And now that's kind of the mid rounds there, Tony, any late rounders that stand out to you? I know we've discussed Frank Darby a lot on the show. Uh, you know, Tamari and Terry from Florida state is a guy who's falling down draft boards rated as a late rounder. Now, what are you looking at here at the end of the draft? Yeah, I would agree with Tamari and Terry. I mean, I understand why he's a late rounder really didn't play very well in 2020. You could make the case that he showed flashes of dominance as a sophomore in 2018 and never really took his game to the next level. One thing that really stood out to me on, on this board, uh, Marquez Stevenson as a late fifth round pick. I mean, coming into the season, Marquez Stevenson was graded anywhere as a top 45 pick to an early third round pick. Ran relatively well at his pro day at 448. 
I say it's relatively well. I think people were expecting a faster time from Marquez Stevenson. But to watch a guy who has been an explosive pass catcher uh, at Houston for the past couple of years, who almost entered last year's draft, as you mentioned, uh, now all of a sudden being graded as a you know late fifth round pick, that's a significant fall. Now hit the tight ends and the offensive line after this brief message. I don't sleep well, but I'm really good at staying awake and staring at my ceiling. So I'm always looking for new ways to keep it together. My head hits the pillow and bam, my mind races to what I didn't do, what I need to do, yada, yada, yada. Relatable? Yeah, it sucks. Fortunately, Sunday Scaries makes products specifically for overthinkers and night owls like me. Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help you decompress, clear your head, and fall asleep so you can actually wake up a fully functioning human being. And there's no risk to buy. The company offers a 100% lifetime money-back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You'll get your money back. Sunday Scaries is in the stress-relieving business, not the stress-causing business after all. Don't believe me? We got you 25% off to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code TONY for your discount. That's promo code TONY for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. They're amazing and you won't regret joining their squad. And you should sign up just for using my name. All right, and moving on to the tight ends here. And at the top, all alone for a while, is a guy who, you know, you could argue he's a wide receiver playing the tight end position. That's Kyle Pitts from Florida, arguably the best tight end prospect we've seen in a very, very long time. Um, You know, just completely dominant. We don't need to say too much more about him. I mean, you know, people are talking about Patrick Sertan being the top defensive player drafted and Kyle Pitts absolutely obliterated him when they went one-on-one and he's a tight end. So, I mean, the guy is a stud moving on to the second round though, probably not another tight end going in the first round, but if there would be one that had a chance, it's Penn state's Pat Fryermuth rated in the very early tier here on this draft board of the second round. One thing that surprised me a little bit is I'm seeing Tommy Tremble's name out of Notre Dame, a guy we've discussed on the show, a guy I know Tony really likes, but seeing his name here, as a late second rounder and Brevin Jordan as a early third rounder, Tony, talk to us about that and anything you want to add on either Pitts or Firemuth. Yeah. I mean, the way this board shapes up, it's no surprise to anyone. You only have three tight ends that are top 60 picks and five tight ends that are top uh, first or second day picks, which shows you how poor the position is. I like Tommy Tremble. We talked about Tommy Tremble with Ian book way back when, when we interviewed Ian right after the senior bowl, because I, I mentioned how he stood out to film on me, and Ian Book just re- heaped praise over Tommy Trouble. He's got a great amount of upside. Pat Fryer moved at the early part of round two. I, I think, I mean, that's a little bit early. I think he's probably going to go early round two because there's just a few uh, tight ends in this year's draft. I think the big thing that sticks out to me is Noah Gray, who was graded as a top 45 pick coming into the season. On this board, by a team is graded as a mid six round choice. So really it shows how Noah Gray, and we've talked about it a couple of times during the season, really didn't improve his game. In fact, he went the other way. He's a okay tight end, catches the ball okay, he blocks okay. He's not really super fast. He's more of a serviceable number two or number three at the next level. One guy on this board that's graded as a seventh round, there's John Bates of Boise State. I'm told by some teams he could go a little bit earlier. And here's the strange thing. The tight end position this year after a pitch really lacks depth primarily because surprisingly the top underclassmen at the position 
decided to stay in school. You had Jalen Weidermeyer of Texas A&M, who would have been a top 45 choice. He decided to stay in school. You got players like Isaiah Likely and Kate Otten and Jake Ferguson, Isaiah Likely of Coastal Carolina, Otten of Washington, Jake Ferguson of Wisconsin, who are third round picks. They all stayed in school. James Mitchell of Virginia Tech, a potential third round pick, early fourth round choice. He also stayed in school. So it's kind of interesting that these guys decided to stay in school in a year where there's going to be a dearth of talent because you had so many seniors going back, especially in a year where it's just a bad crop of talent uh, or there's not a lot of depth of talent at the tight end position. I think these guys, the Isaiah Likely's, the Kate Ottens and Jake Ferguson's may have been overdrafted had they entered the, uh, the event. Yeah, it is interesting, as you said, for a couple of reasons. Obviously, the one you mentioned, um, you know, looking back to the running backs quickly, I mean, the top two guys in this year's draft, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, could have entered last year's draft when there were a lot of good running backs available. Instead, they stay in school, they come out in a weaker draft now, and now they are probably going to go higher than they would have last year. It's kind of the opposite now at the tight end position. Obviously, a lot of these guys have the opportunity to uh, go back, you know, people getting extra years of eligibility. It doesn't affect the underclassmen, but you know, people want to go back. They don't like what happened this season or they want to kind of build off it or, or whatever it is. But I feel like a lot of times tight ends stay in school a little bit longer than say a position like running back because there is so much more development at the position because it is a situation where you enter the league and it's a slow developing position. Even the top tight ends in the league usually take a couple of years. Not sure how Kyle Pitts fits into that since again, he's more of a wide receiver and unlike anything we've really seen at the position, but you know, just the, the learning curve is so steep at the position that I feel like a lot of guys do stay in school more often than they do at other positions. But, you know, this year they had the opportunity to come out and take advantage of a week in class and they didn't do it. So just a lot of layers to those decisions that make it extremely interesting. You know, you never want to berate a guy or say a guy made a bad decision by going back to school. But again, I mean, you look at Tommy Trumbull on this board. He's a late second rounder. On my board, he's an early third rounder. And you could have said, you could have made the argument that the guys I mentioned, Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina, Kate Otten, Washington, Jake Ferguson, Wisconsin, absolutely uh, Jalen Wiedermeyer, Texas A&M, were all better prospects than Tommy Tremble. Tremble's got a great amount of upside, but these guys are all more polished tight ends, and Wiedermeyer and Likely have got tremendous upside because they're outstanding athletes. So, (laughs) I mean... With teams wanting that 245, 250-pound guy that can get down the seam and create mismatches, I, you know, you want – I don't know. I don't want to say it's a missed opportunity, but guess what? It probably is a missed opportunity because, you know, next year, even though it's a tight end, if these guys play tight end, you're going to have a – you could potentially have a lot more talent in the middle and potentially day two of the draft with so many guys returning, especially so many seniors going back for – a second senior campaign. Now moving over to the offensive line where you have three guys graded pretty closely in a bunch on this board. Penny Sewell from Oregon, Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Notable again that he is listed at tackle. Tony is one guy that likes him more inside at guard, but obviously if you have an opportunity to play tackle in the NFL, some team is going to try you there just because it is a more important position. And then Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech is the third guy in round one. They are all listed kind of next to each other in the same tier, a guy we discussed a lot this year. Um, you know, at one point, I think, I forget which episode it was, but we had a show where we discussed, um, you know, guys who weren't getting first round buzz that eventually would. 
And Christian Darisol was one of the guys we mentioned. Lo and behold, he is here on the first round on this board. Tony, break down these three guys and if anything surprises you about their placement. Yeah, middle of round one, as a matter of fact. In that episode, what we did was we talked about two guys that weren't getting buzz or enough buzz that would be first round picks. I chose David Collins. You chose Christian Darrison. So I guess we both get the award for that one. Nailed it. Uh, I, I think uh, really the spread between Slater and Darrison is not as great as many people think. Penny Sewell, you're starting to see finally get mentioned as the top offensive tackle, which he's always been on my board. I agree with you. I, I mean, I've had Slater on my guard board from the get-go. If he, you got to try him at left tackle, maybe even try him at right tackle. If he fails to make it that spot, then you move him uh, inside the guard. Uh, still, I mean, these are the three guys that I think everyone expects to be first-round picks. On this board, Kevin Jenkins is an early second-round choice. I think Jenkins is a guy who's going to fall into the late part of round one. As we've seen time and time again, uh, offensive tackles are highly coveted come draft weekend. Jenkins, I'm told the interviews have been okay. They haven't been great, but still, he's a talented guy. He's a very athletic guy with terrific size. I think the biggest faller that I'm seeing or I'm hearing about is Jalen Mayfield of Michigan. Uh, he's a guy who a lot of people, including yours truly, had graded as a potential late first-round pick at one point in time. He's now being looked at as a late second-round pick. There were some who are not even convinced that he can play tackle. He's going to have to move into guard. Has not did not have a good pro day workout. The numbers were not that great. Interviews have been okay. Uh, just really has not performed well in the post draft, uh, in the pre draft process, I should say. And remember, May Mayfield was a guy who initially opted out of the season, then decided to play. I think he only played three or four games last year, and is a red shirt, uh, red shirt sophomore. So he does not have a big body of work. Yeah, I mean, in, in a year when all we have is pro days, we have no combine. A lot of times, you can kind of, you know, eschew a bad workout at the combine, you know, he had a bad day or something like that. Um, it's the combine, but pro days are built for these players to succeed. So when you have a bad pro day at a situation where, you know, even guys who have bad combines have pretty decent pro days a lot of the time. So if you have a bad pro day, that just looks so much worse, especially in a season like this when there's no combine to compare it to. It's not like he went and did okay at the combine and then bombed his pro day, which rarely happens anyway, but it just is not a good look for a guy like Jalen Mayfield in terms of, yeah, that does he have the athleticism and that ability to stay at tackle, um, you know, going a little further down the board here, looking in the third round, the name that stands out in the third round to me, there are two names really for different reasons. Walker Little from Stanford, a guy who at one point was a top 10 possibility. Obviously injuries have gotten the better of him, opted out of this past year, but you know, to see him in the third round is a bit jarring. And then Spencer Brown from Northern Iowa, a guy that people weren't necessarily viewing as a potential second day pick heading into the season, now firmly in that range and at tackle too, Tony, what do you think of these guys and anything else you see on the board? Yeah, Spencer Brown may end up going a lot higher. I'm told that there's some buzz around Spencer Brown. As you said, I mean, Northern Iowa didn't play last season. They postponed their campaign to the spring. Spencer Brown went to the senior bowl, really struggled in the beginning, got it together and showed flashes of dominance later in the week or in the last couple of practices, then had a, just a tremendous, tremendous pro day workout. And the guy is, has got great size Six, eight and a half, 314 pounds, ran a five, one, three. His other is his verts and his broads were right on. So people are looking at him as he's a huge guy who's athletic enough to play left tackle. Whether that happens or not, I, I don't know. As far as Walker Little is concerned, you know, 
you, you can make the case that early third round is good for Walker Little. Like you said, I mean, he played great during the 2017-2018 campaigns. Coming out of his sophomore season, a lot of redshirt sophomore season, a lot of people thought he was going to be a top 15 pick. Gets injured early in the 2019 campaign against Northwestern. He's sidelined for the season. And then he opts out of 2020, which, you know, there was an interview with him about opting out and how it may affect his draft status. And he's like, you know what? The Pac-12 said in August we weren't playing. And then there was a lot of indecision. And then they started the season in November. You know, we talked about some of the guys from Arizona State. I mean, Arizona State, I believe, played, what, three games? Because, uh, you know, it was an on-again, off-again situation, not only starting the season, but once the season began. So you can't really blame Walker Little for his decision, although he's not going to be a first-round pick like a lot of people thought not too long ago. So a couple day three sleepers that stick out to me on this board, James Hudson from Cincinnati and Coyote Awasika from Buffalo, both graded in the fourth, fifth round area. I think those are guys with the upside to, you know, potentially make teams regret passing on them towards the end of the second day, good athleticism, the ability to, you know, really develop into potential starters at the NFL level. Tony, anything stand out about those two or anyone else to you? Yeah, I think James Hudson is graded at least a round lower. Uh, that he's going to be selected. I'm told the pre-draft process, the workouts and interviews have been okay for James Hudson, but still he showed enough at left tackle at Cincinnati, enough upside that I think he's going to be a day two selection. I think he's going to be a right tackle. Another guy that they have graded here as a fourth round pick who's graining some steam on draft boards is Stone Forsyth. I don't necessarily agree with it, but there are a lot of people in the scouting community who really like Forsyth. Now, our final position here will go to the interior offensive line where there is one player rated as a first-round pick, and that is Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC at guard. Looking at the second round, you have a couple centers, Landon Dickerson from Alabama, Kareem Humphrey from Oklahoma, and then Quinn Miners, a guy we had on the show, a guy who really made a name for himself at the Senior Bowl. I mean, you want to talk about risers. Uh, he is the stone definition of a riser as a Division three prospect. Uh, who's now looking at a potential top 50, top 60 type of pick, has the versatility to play both guard and center. Trey Smith from Tennessee is the other name here on the second round, a guy who at one point, as we've discussed, top senior prospect in the nation, now looking more like a late second round pick. Tony, what do you think of the top of the interior board here? Well, number one, I'm glad to see Oliveira Tucker listed almost solely as a guard on this board because that's where I have him graded. It's not even a guard tackle possibility. It's singularly guard, which is where I think uh, he'll end up in the NFL, even though to his credit, he played very well at left tackle for USC last year. You know, Landon Dickerson, I, Landon Dickerson, when you watch the film, he was good in 2019. He was better last year. He had that knee injury in the semifinal game, but you look at his medicals from his days at Florida State and they're a horror show. Major injuries, which sidelined him, joint injuries, not hamstring or groin injuries, joint injuries, which put him on the sidelines. Landon Dickerson, when you grade him as a player, he's a top 45 pick. When you look at his medicals, he's a mid-day three pick. And when a guy like that has significant injuries and he's 340 pounds, to me, that's a major red flag. Landon Dickerson is going to be one of the more interesting stories in this year's draft. Team could take a chance on him, maybe late in the first round, in the second round, but they could rue that decision if he can't stay healthy. And he really hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy. Creed Humphrey, I think, is going to go earlier than uh, mid-round two. Quinn Miners could actually go in the middle of round two. He is, uh, 
he's gaining some steam. Trey Smith is one of my favorite guys. I mean, he's just a real good football player, but there are medical concerns. He had those blood clots. I talked to somebody who came out of, uh, came back from uh, uh, combine medicals last week at Indianapolis. He said, you know, there are some teams that are concerned about it. He got through the last two seasons. Okay. And he's played very good football. He's a smart, tough guy. Uh, it'll be in again, you know, like Landon Dickerson, it'll be interesting to see what, where Trey Smith ends up with those medical concerns, if you will. Now looking at kind of the third round and beyond a couple names in the third round that are intriguing Landon Dickerson's teammate, Deontay Brown inside at guard, a couple Ohio state Buckeyes and Josh Myers and Wyatt Davis, who we've discussed multiple times on the show. And then you look in round four or five and you see Jalen Moore from Western Michigan. We talked to Dwayne Eskridge a bit about his teammate. Jalen Moore, go back and check out that interview for more details on that. But I'm sure Tony's going to share something here on Moore and, and maybe some other names that he sees later on on day three. I think Wyatt Davis, anywhere out of Ohio State, anywhere outside the top 45 is just great value. I mean, we've talked about him a couple times during the season. He's a mobile guy that's 320 pounds. Uh, the ability to get out in second level and block in motion showed some power last year. Did have an injury, a significant injury in that national championship game against Alabama. Have not heard definitively when he's going to be back. So I think that is a really good value. You know, Deontay Brown, I just don't see him. I have him graded as a seventh round pick. I just don't see how a guy that's, you know, 346 pounds after he lost 20 pounds, uh, played at 366, showed up at Pro Day at 346. Yeah, he needs to be applauded for that, but that's still so big for such a young guy. If he was a 10-year veteran at 346 pounds, I could understand it. I, I just can't see how a team is going to draft him early. What stands out to me on this board is how many of the centers, Michael Minette specifically, Trey Hill, Jack Anderson, the guard center from uh, Texas Tech, are really later round picks. I mean, late fourth, mid to late fifth round picks. I think those guys are going to go anywhere from third round with Minette, late third round, early fourth round to uh, Trey Hill and Jack Anderson, who I think are solid fourth round selections. And that's it for the 183rd episode of the draft analyst presented by bet online and the belief sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back next week with more on the 2021 NFL Draft. But until then, for Tony Pauline, and this is Chris Tripodi. Good night. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, essential central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.